Good morning. You can open your Bibles to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to consider a, I think it's a pretty familiar story to many. Certainly it's memorable if you've heard it before. And I think we had a very nice introduction there uh, in the last song that we sung together. I assume that was strategic. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. And I like some of the other verses that were added on there, too. Uh, Toward the end, the song said, be careful, little mind, what you think. Be careful, little mind, what you think. Uh, A lot of the thoughts, I think, are going to tie in with some of those things. I guess I'm going to go ahead and read the passage first. We're running a little late on time, but I want to at least read the passage. And then, as usual, we're going to give some highlights. Okay? oftentimes uh, speakers, preachers can take years going through one book because each few verses, there's just so much there. So we can only give the highlights, but I'm going to share with you what the Lord has laid on my heart. Second Samuel 11. Let's read together. It happened. In the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah, the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. 
Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot down from the wall? Who struck Abimelech with the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, that is to David, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent. Uh, sent by him and the messenger said to David surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate the archers shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also then David said to the messenger thus you shall say to Joab do not let this thing displease you for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and was with his children and ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take of his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you for your, from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, 
Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who was born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. I wanted to read the whole passage because to me this is the type of passage that speaks for itself. I mean, it's very easy to follow. A man who had done such great things for the Lord and would do such great things for the Lord. A mighty man, but a mighty fall. A mighty, mighty fall, as we've just read. We've already noted multiple times as we've gone through the books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel that God would not, by His Spirit, cover up the sins of His people. I mean, I think that if I were penning the Scriptures, I might have just left the story out. But God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't do that. And I suppose you could say there are a few reasons why the Lord wouldn't do that. But many of the speakers that have already come up and talked about First and Second Samuel have reminded us that these things were put here so that you and I might learn from them. Listen to this. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be aware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now... These things, what things, the things of the Old Testament, the things of the Old Testament people. But these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. You and I have the ability to learn from the mistakes of the past. We don't have to go down the same path that some of these men went. We have the ability to look back on historical events, real events. We can learn of men. We can learn of God. We can learn for ourselves. Why? That to the intent that we, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed. Nor should we complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. We've just read a story, brothers and sisters, that is very clear, very detailed in many ways. Reveals many things to us about a great, great fall And though there would be forgiveness, there would be severe consequences. And they were written for our admonition 
upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now listen to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. That's the warning of the scripture. That's the command of the scripture. Will you, will I take heed to what's written from times past? We can learn from the mistakes of others. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We don't have to go down the same paths that others went down. We can look back and we can see the beginning. We can see the process and we can see the the, the tragic end of many of these things. And you and I don't have to go down the same path. We don't have to repeat history. We can learn from history. In fact, that's why it was put there. And so it says it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. I don't think it would it was difficult for me. I couldn't find a single message on this passage that didn't highlight the fact that we see in verse 1 of where David was and when he was there. This is a time when kings go out to battle, but David remained. If we had time, we could go back even just in the prior chapter and see how David did go out to battle. He went and he fought. And that's where he should have been. But he wasn't. He remained at Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters... The Christian is in a battle. The Christian is in a battle. I, I know we don't like to think of it too much this way. And some of you may say, a war? I thought the Christian life was a walk. Well, it is. I thought the Christian life was a work. Well, it is. But it is indeed a war. There is a battle to be fought. And my question to you today Are you fighting the battle? Are you fighting the battle? Have you engaged your time, your resources into this battle in life as a Christian? Ephesians 6 says we do not wrestle wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is a very real war and battle going on. Have you engaged in the battle? If you haven't, if you are not, I can almost assure you, you too will fall. And I speak to myself. There's a battle to be fought. One of the things that's very typical of wars and battles is that they cost. If there's one thing that you've heard so often in politics about this war, that was started many years ago, is how much it cost. It cost time, it cost money, it cost lives. The Lord Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, in 
In Luke chapter 9, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Are you willing to pay the price of discipleship? I'm going to go back there in a minute, but I'm going to read as well from Luke 14. Luke 14, if anyone in verse 26 comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, these are strong words. I'm not saying that I totally understand them, but listen to what he says. Does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost. Count the cost. In order to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to really engage in the spiritual battle, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost me. Things that are dear to me, perhaps. And this is serious, serious business. David didn't go out to battle. Many balk, you know, at the Lord's call. Many say it's just too harsh. I, 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 I can't I don't even want to begin to try to understand how he can ask this of me. How can he ask me to deny my my wife and kids and my own life? Also, I don't even want to try to understand it. I don't even want to try to put it into practice. I don't even want to try to, to, to see what he meant by that. It's just too much. It's just too much. The cost is too great. Many people say that. In fact, many who mock the New Testament, many, these, this is not just Christians, but there are some, but others who mock the New Testament. I've heard them mock the words of the Lord Jesus. How dare he ask this of you and of me? How dare he? There's a price to be paid. It's a heavy cost. You want to know something that really, really struck me? Though many balk at the the command of the Lord Jesus, because they just can't imagine paying what needs to be paid in order to really follow him, giving up prime time, if that's what it means, giving up the movies, if that's what it means, giving up whatever it is that keeps him from being preeminent. It's not that there's nothing else in life. We have other things to do. But he is to be preeminent. That is that he is to have the first place. And so many, they, 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 they can't imagine such a call from the Lord Jesus. Because the cost is so much. And yet, think yourself. Look yourself back at many who have instead chosen a life of luxury and fine living and whatever else it was. Look at the many who have fallen like David fell and look at what it cost them. Look at what it cost them. The passage here, you can't help but think about sexual immorality because it's just, that's what's there. I think of at least three men older than me, but peers to me as I was growing up. And I remember in various circumstances at various times with them, professing believers and 
believers, I do believe they were. But they took lightly the call of the Lord Jesus Christ. They took lightly these matters of laying it all down for Christ, of steering clear of things that would lead me down paths of destruction. And all three of them, adultery, adultery, adultery. They took lightly these matters. Well, I can go there. I can be there. No big deal to me. I can watch those things. I can do those things. I can sit in that place. I distinctly remember one of them saying to me, and I was very young, probably 14 or so, he said, oh, man, stuff don't bother me anymore. I'm married now. I'm married. I, I, I can do that. I can watch that. I can see that. And what would follow? Adultery. A massive, massive fall. And the price that is to be paid when we fall in such a way. Now, don't become too discouraged because there is forgiveness with the Lord. There is restoration. There is reconciliation. But be warned. There is a steep price to pay. Take seriously. Take seriously the things that are before us. It happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? That should have been enough for David right then and there. But David sent messengers and he took her and she came to him. From idleness to infatuation to inquiry to immorality and four short, short verses. How the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. From idleness to infatuation to inquiry to immorality and four short, short verses. How the mighty have fallen. So it's very, 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 very serious. Very serious. David was a man who had, and I'm going to be real practical here for a moment. David had multiple wives, as many of the monarchs did in that day. Not going to get into, we've already discussed it on a Sunday night about the fact that many had many wives. And nothing good ever came of it. That we can see. Now, God allowed it for some reason, in some way, and that's not the point at this time. But the point is this. The appetite of the flesh is insatiable. The flesh doesn't tell us that. The flesh says a little bit more. Someone else, and I'll be satisfied. Give me a little more. We heard it this morning. More, more, more. But the appetite of the flesh is insatiable. I mean, David had, you could count, 15 or more. There might have been 30, 40, 50. I don't know. It says he took many more wives and concubines. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough because the appetite of the flesh is insatiable. Ecclesiastes says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. No amount of the flesh 
can ever bring satisfaction. David had many wives. Now, brothers, you and I have the same flesh telling us the same thing that someone else. Somewhere else. Would do the trick. But it's the same story. It's the same flesh. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall from idleness to infatuation. We aren't given a whole lot of detail except to see that David saw the woman and he saw she was very beautiful. And so he sends and inquires. There was no doubt some period of time there where David's mind was racing was often places it ought not have been. Brothers and sisters, I appreciated the song this morning. Be careful, little mind, what you think. Well, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's almost a sense in which the scripture says it happened that David maybe kind of stumbled into this situation. He just happened to look out. But there was a period of time where his mind must have been running as he sent and inquired about this woman infatuation if we don't deal with the sins of the mind in the mind they will be manifested in the flesh is that true if we don't deal with with the lusts of our mind if we don't deal with this in our mind it will become who we are Proverbs 23 says and says, as he thinks in his heart, so he is. There are multiple New Testament verses that speak out of the heart flow the issues of life. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, and so forth. As you think in your heart and in your mind, so you are. You are what you think. You're not what you eat. You are what you think. And so my plea to you, deal with the sins of the mind before they become the sins of the flesh. Before these things are to such a degree that I go to an extent and I'm not preaching at you. I'm speaking to myself. The Lord spoke to me in this way. Before I get to the point where I do something I ought not do, may I be willing in the privacy of my home in my quiet time, to deal with these things there. Because that's where they start. Rarely, rarely will you ever find someone who has fallen in such a way as this, that has not spent weeks and months meditating and thinking on things they ought not think on, looking at things they ought not look at. And I think you probably know that to be true in your life. I know that's true in my own life. You don't go from here to here in just one quick second. It's usually been weeks of thinking and pondering and contemplating and toying and playing. And these three men that I think about when I was a young man, that's what they did. They played and they toyed on South Beach and in the movies and all kinds of different places, in bars and in clubs, until it manifested itself in the acts of the flesh. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13 says, and make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. This is serious, serious business. 
First Peter chapter one says to gird up the loins of your mind, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Verse 14 says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also act holy when you're at church. You also pretend holy when you're among your friends and wives and other Christians. You also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy, says the Lord. When you're at home, when you're alone, will you suffer the cost? It may take turning off talk radio that had an effect on me. The mind is a powerful powerful thing and oftentimes in scripture the mind and the heart are so closely linked together it seems to me that what we fill our mind with is going to be what our heart desires okay i'm not a psychologist i'm not into psychiatry but they're so closely linked together there's a sense in which i can't control the longings of my heart but i can control What goes into my mind? We have two ears. We have two eyes. They're gateways into the mind. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you filling your mind with? Colossians 3 and verse 1 says, If then you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where has your mind been? Where have your eyes been? Are you willing? And for me at times in life it's taken a real cost. Giving up things that were dear to me. Replacing prime time with prayer time. I don't want to sound cheesy but it's true. Replacing talk radio with the word of God. These things may be necessary. If you found yourself captive... And, and, and the odds are, brothers and sisters, let's be real, the odds are there are some sitting in this room who are being held captive. Proverbs 5 says that the sins of sexual immorality are like cords. They can grasp us so tightly. It's very difficult to unloose yourself. My practical uh, exhortation is that you give up what you can give up. I know the longings of the heart. I have them too. But the word of God says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind can be renewed. You don't have to be conformed to the world. You don't have to fall prey to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. But only one way. By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Now, I have a few thoughts along that line regarding renewing the mind. I'm going to share these quickly. And I've read the whole story. There's so much there. We have a a fall into sin. We have a conception with Bathsheba. A plot to cover up that was unsuccessful. An unimaginable command as David sends out and says to kill Uriah. Oh, how sin can snowball. How sin can snowball. How could you get to such a point? 
such a way so quickly. But he did. But then we have the story of repentance. David repented. Psalm 32, Psalm 51 record some powerful words of repentance. I don't know about you, but I have read those multiple times when I've come to a point of repentance. And there is the story as well of forgiveness. There is forgiveness. But don't, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And do not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's Galatians 5 or 6. Do not be deceived. There are consequences. There is forgiveness. Okay, I don't want to be biased in the story. But think with me for just a moment as we think about, because this is what the Lord has really laid on my heart. There's so much to be learned from the story. But the way that it began, oh, if David would have just stopped, just stopped before he got to that point. But he didn't. And so this is going to be my encouragement to you. Do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2 says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? I want to close with a few thoughts regarding the renewing of your mind. Okay? If you think of your mind, I'm just going to use an illustration. You think of your mind like a new vehicle. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. There's a sense in which we've been given a new mind, a new heart. And yet the New Testament commands us to be renewed. Renewed. You follow me? Ephesians 4, I believe it says, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So though we are a new creation in Christ, the New Testament says that we are to be being renewed. Now I'm learning this, okay? But I see that in Scripture and I think it's pretty clear. If you think of your mind like a new vehicle, And imagine this new vehicle has been taken and it's put into operation and it smells great, it looks great and so forth. And it's driven and and four months, five months go by and no care is taken for for it whatsoever. There is a sense in which you would say this vehicle now needs to be renewed. Okay, it's just an illustration. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be made like it was back at the beginning. What are some steps you need to take? Well, number one, you would need to wash the vehicle, wouldn't you? Ephesians 5 says, Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The vehicle needs to be washed. You need to be washed. I need to be washed. How? By the word of God. There is a plethora of scripture regarding scripture. A plethora of verses that support reading the word of God, memorizing the word of God, meditating on the word of God, and on and on and on. We don't have time to go on to, into all of them. So we need to be in this process of washing, washing, But there's another part of it, too. There is a sense in which, if you picture that vehicle, there would no doubt be some trash that has gotten on the inside. And there are some things that need to be removed, removed. 
you and I need to be in the process of confessing sin like David would do. Repent of these things. Confess them. Get them out of your mind as best as you possibly can. Confess them before the Lord. Speaking of battles and warfare, the scripture is filled with different terminology. One of them is this phrase, put to death. Put to death your members on the earth. That's Colossians 3, 5, which are fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. We need to be putting to death these things, removing them, putting them out from us. So we need to be washing. We need to be removing the garbage. One other thing that you could do if you had a new vehicle and you wanted it to continuously be renewed, to be looking like it did when it was first gotten, is that you could set it on a path that's conducive to cleanliness, right? You don't have to drive down mud roads. You can take the Florida's Turnpike. You can take Pines Boulevard. The same is true of the Christian. If I want my mind to continuously be be renewed by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, I have a responsibility. I don't have to set my mind on mud paths. I don't have to put my mind in places where it should not be. I already quoted Colossians 3 and verse 2. Set your mind on things above. The King James, I think, says set your affection on things above. I suppose both are true. But certainly we know we can set our minds on things above. My affections, well, those are longings. But God can change your longings. He's done it for me. He's done it for many. He can change the longings of your heart so that you desire things that he desires. I'm not saying I do this perfectly, brothers and sisters. You know that but he can change your desires. Isn't that a wonderful thing? If we'll set our mind on things above, he can change the things that I actually desire. I want to be with the Lord's people. I want to hear the word of God. I want to pray. It's not some anathema. I want to pray. I want to walk in the spirit. He can change my desires. If I'll wash, if I'll remove things, if I'll set my mind on the right path. And lastly, the idea would be controlling. Even there on the Florida's turnpike, you're no doubt going to come across, if you drive long enough, things that you may not want to run over. Mud puddles, or debris, trash. There's an aspect of controlling Controlling what we think. Second Corinthians 10 says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. Listen to this. For pulling down strongholds. Have you a stronghold in your life? Have I a stronghold in my life? The weapons of our warfare are capable of pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen to this. Taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
That's my desire. I'm not saying I've mastered it, but that's my desire. Taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. There is so much more that could be said about the story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah and the repentance and the forgiveness and the restoration that was there. Don't be discouraged. If you've gone down a path you ought not be, repent like David did. Repent like David did. James 5.16 says, if not, you could confess your faults to one another if need be. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We have that opportunity as well. Our God is a God of forgiveness. He's a good God. David was forgiven, restored. There were serious consequences to his sin. Let us not forget that. But let us not be discouraged. God is a God of restoration and reconciliation. Will you come to him today? If you don't know him, will you come to him for forgiveness? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you for these historical records written down for our admonition, for our learning, that we might not lust as they lusted, that we might not go down the paths that they went on. Help us to learn from them, to put them into practice, to apply them. Teach us, O God, we pray. Lead us by your Spirit and help us be willing to to pay the price, to suffer the cost of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus, to being serious about walking with him, whatever it may cost. Help us, we pray. Bless us, we pray, that this meeting would be a corporate gathering of believers who are walking in the Spirit, who are walking in love. May it be so for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.